Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Exercise your imagination. This week, Kim Platt's Gymkhana Fall Play. The Princess Stakes Murder. Starring Howard Duff. Julie Adams. And Ray Danton. Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour. Sponsored in part by the United States Brewers Association and the Ford Motor Company. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. Max Roper, private investigator, hunch player, and karate expert, is having his problems. Nothing seems to point the way to the murder of his friend, jockey Willie Rich. What he has found is another murder. That of young Bonnie Burns, the warm and willing receptionist of the Gilded Cuckoo Health Spa. The investigation has led Roper from Willie's murder to Pam Clayton's disappearance, to backtracking into Pam's stepmother's checkered marital career, to a demonstration of Tyler Clayton's expertise with firearms, to the knowledge that there is a mystery man somewhere named Thomas Hunter who may have something to do with all of it. But as of the moment, Max Roper is in no position to inquire any further. He is now a client of the Gilded Cuckoo in a barred room, his clothing locked away, and having just swallowed a prescribed elixir, is in the process of crashing into black oblivion. Is this any way to treat a detective? In a moment, Max Roper will be treated to a ride on a diabolical machine called the Isotron as the Princess Stakes murder continues. But first, this word. Josephine, open up! It's me, Napoleon Bonaparte, Emperor of all France, much of the civilized world, and Louisiana if the deal falls through. Quick, Pierre, I didn't close it. Napoleon must not find you here. Ah, Josephine, I had to see you. Napoleon, my dearest heart, what are you doing here? I thought you were at Waterloo. I was, but it ended early. What is that? I smell cigarette smoke. You know I hate you to smoke. I didn't. I don't. Uh, I mean, I, I started again. Aha! The smoke coming from that closet. Go! 
come out of there, you scoundrel, and on cast. What do you mean, Dale? To pick up the dry cleaning? Take that, you filthy escargot. This world history lesson was brought to you by your American Cancer Society, which says smoking can be injurious to your health. Touché! <laughs> In more ways than one, I tried to raise my head, but couldn't. I heard a soft gushing of voices. My vision cleared temporarily, and I saw a chunky, light-haired man standing next to Glendon. He wore light-rimmed eyeglasses, and I knew I'd seen him before. I knew his name was Dorn, but I couldn't figure why he was looking down at me. I tried to raise myself up to ask him, but there were solid straps of tight canvas lashing me securely to the bed. I didn't need anything more to tell me that once again I had miscalculated my moves and underestimated theirs. I shook my head and tried to growl and fell asleep instead. I was getting pretty good at that. He's coming around. I was on my back, tilted toward the ceiling. Square tiles shifted in and out of focus and finally settled into a pattern that held. I began to understand that I was lying on a tilted narrow board barely wide enough for my frame. My feet rested on an angled slab at the bottom. I recognized the contraption as an exercise slant board used in gyms. I'd been on one before, but never with my arms tied behind the board. Apparently, I was going to be introduced to a new exercise. I looked down past my nose to the straps bisecting my body. My upper torso was stripped bare. Wires were strung along me at intervals extending out of view. Pain parted my scalp. Phantom fingers of metal told me to lie there quietly and not move. He's ready now. I wanted to laugh and tell him he was ridiculous. A million volts of concentrated force hit me in the back. My body tensed and surged upward, tearing the breath out of me. I settled back, nerves quivering and jiggling, and waited for the next one. A strange smell filled my nostrils. I identified it immediately. The musky scent of fear. My cortex knew what my body didn't, that I was going to be tickled to death. I was ready when it came, but it didn't help. The contact wire bit into my flesh. I leaped. Why are you here, Mr. Roper? I could have told him, because I was a dumb dick. We're waiting for an answer. My entire upper left quadrant recoiled in a monstrous heave. I'm sure you understand that your body and nerves will give out long before this machine. Now, I ask you once more, why are you here? I, I told you to get in shape, to take weight off. The contact pad on my left side jumped. Electricity hammered into my nerves and muscles. I twitched like a harem hopeful in a shimmy contest. I shivered and shot uncontrollably. Each contact stimulated another mass of ganglia into pulsed reflex. I expected at any moment a contraction severe enough to snap a bone. What the hell's going on? You, you treat all your customers this way? I'm asking you once more. What are you looking for? If you think I'm keeping something back, why haven't you clowns thought of using sodium pedithol? That's supposed to be pretty good for digging out the truth. Yeah, but the isotron is more memorable. It might even deter you from seeing us again. You're wrong, sweetie pie. What I'm going to do to you when I get out, that's the thing I'm going to remember. <laughs> well, let's have one more for the road for Mr. Roper. It was a butte, but it didn't break my back. Dr. Savage came forward again. I saw the hypo in his hand and foolishly tried to draw away. The wires held me in place. My forearm was swabbed and the needle went in. You might like this one. It's PCP, 
the peace pill. It's good for hallucinations, uh, delusions, and possibly a depressed state. Why are you here? What do you want? What are you looking for? My field of vision began to whirl. Before my eyes, alternate blocks of color. Red, blue, yellow, then checkerboards, and then nothing. What do the city of Chicago, state of Georgia, Albertsons Incorporated of Colorado, bottlers of Coca-Cola, the Atlanta Braves, state of West Virginia, Kansas City Power and Light Company, Kentucky State Fair, Goodyear, Logan International Airport, 24th Street Elementary School, Los Angeles, Keep Virginia Beautiful Incorporated, North Carolina Highway Department, 7-Eleven Stores, Hines County 4-H Club, Mississippi, state of Delaware, Louisiana State Garden Club, Washington National Airport, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. What do all these have in common? They've all joined in and worked with the Pigeon Program to help clean up America. What can your club, community, or state do? What can you do? Write United States Brewers Association, Post Office Box 2570, Washington, D.C., 20013. Let's all pitch in. We'll return to our story in a moment. This is Gene King for your Better Business Bureau. If you're planning a vacation by air, you know it's a good money-saving idea to check with the airlines to see if you qualify for a special fare. You may be able to save yourself a sizable sum of money, but remember, you must comply exactly with the conditions or you'll be asked to pay the regular rate. Now, most airlines, for example, offer two youth fare plans. The cheapest is youth fare standby. In this, you'll be the last of the passengers called and may not get on the flight. And Youth Fair Reserve, however, guarantees you a seat on a reserved flight, but it'll cost you more. Discount fares are also offered on long-distance travel, but remember there are conditions. For example, you may have to make reservations two weeks in advance, and for some, three months in advance. You must travel midweek only and return after seven to nine days. And no holiday or peak period traveling on this plan. A consumer tip? from your Better Business Bureau. I awoke to a million ants and grasshoppers doing a war dance across my body. I jerked as the contact pad fed me a massive jolt. My legs exploded. I lurched. Then was aware that the last contraction had snapped the bands lashing my legs to the slant board. Gurgling noises rose from my throat. The white-coated Dr. Savage came over. I waited until he was close, hooked my right foot between his thighs, and drew in closer. Hey! Kicked out with my left foot, striking with the instep. Dr. Savage gasped. His head snapped back. He groaned and fell on me. Glendon came rushing over. I let the doctor drop and hooked him with my right foot. His mouth opened in surprise. I shut it with an ankle kick. Got both legs around him and squeezed until his eyes bulged. <laughs> Cut me loose, Glendon, or I'll kick looked at the inert Dr. Savage on the floor and believed me. My hands were still palsied when Glendon cut them free, but I gave him a wrist, palm, heel, and sword peak hand anyway. He went down like a sack. Ernie, the husky guard, walked in carrying another of those wicked little shot glasses. When he saw Glendon and the doctor on the floor, he came charging. I waited and timed it with a perfect high kick, catching him flush on the jaw with the ball of my foot. He 
buckled forward. I gave him the inverted fist strike to the spleen. He turned green, and I toppled him like a tree with a chop. Got to my feet, leaned over, and pulled Glendon up. Where's Pam Clayton? I don't know. She isn't here. We let her go. What's it all about? Why hold her and cover up her appointment? It wasn't my idea. I had to. Who's behind it? Who gave you the orders? Now, don't go away, Glennon. Ernie began to stir. I picked up the little shot glass and shoved it down his throat. He gurgled but swallowed it. I wouldn't have any further worry about him. Then I strapped Glendon onto the slant board. No, please. Please, don't, don't turn it on. And talk. Before I blacked out of my room, I saw a man with you. His name is Dorn. Works for Louis Charnock. Does uh, Dorn have a piece of your action here? No, 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 no. Uh, he, he was here for uh, uh, he, he was here for a rubdown. Come off it. You admitted snatching Pam Clayton wasn't your idea. Now, who are you fronting for? Whose idea was it? Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Dorn suggested. I, he didn't explain his plan to me. I, I had to do it. Why? You've got yourself a good thing here. How come you take orders from Charnock and Dorn? They got something on you, is that it? Either you cooperate or they blow the whistle on you, something like that? Please. Or is it a, a blackmail ring? Your rich patrons, their hang-ups, booze, drugs, sex. As director here, you'd know all the dirt. And their financial ratings, too. Well, are you going to talk? Uh, Dorn. Uh, uh, Mr. Dorn. You're saying Dorn. You mean Charnock, don't you? Please, let me up. Maybe I'll just plug you in for a while, loosen you up. No. No. There is no pain. <laughs> Mr. Roper, I know nothing. You had the Clayton kid doped up. What then? A set of compromising pictures to make her old man cough up a lot of loot? No, no, it, it, it wasn't nothing like that. No, she was she was given sedation to, to keep her quiet, that's all. What did you give her, a shot like you gave me? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I told her that there was a, a personal phone call for her in my office, and uh, while she waited, I gave her a cola with the drug. How did you explain it to her when she came to? Well, uh, we, we had one of our staff handle it. Uh, he told her that, that she had fainted, that there was, you know, some new mysterious virus going around. She believed us, and she left. Well, she hasn't returned yet. Did you know that? Was she driving her own car? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's uh, a green convertible. Now, I assumed that she'd be going straight home. You assume rotten. Pam Clayton wasn't your only client with money. Why was she picked, and why Labor Day? I, I don't know. I don't know. What about Tom Hunter? You're not going to answer, Mr. Glendon? All right, let's see. How do you turn this thing on? No, 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 no. He, he, he is inside. He, uh, it's the last room, ground floor number 11. Your teeth are chattering, Glendon. After what you put me through, I ought to just... I'll, I'll tell you. I, I'm going to tell you everything. Now, now, see, Hunter suspected that we had Miss Clayton here. Well, he, he started to take the place apart. We had to jump and we, we had to quiet him down. You let the girl go. Why not Hunter? Orders. Uh, they were afraid that he'd make trouble. Who the hell is this guy, Hunter, anyway? I don't know. What did you do to him? Uh, memory block. We were trying to erase his memory. With this keen little machine? No, no. Uh, uh, drugs and hypnosis. Uh, what we call condition regression. Mm. You're going to take me to him, Glennon, right now. I unbuckled the straps. Glennon's knees almost caved in as he stood up, but he led me back to my room. I locked him in the closet while I dressed. My bag had been searched, but they overlooked my gun in the false bottom. I nudged Glendon with it. He nodded politely and led me to the room at the far end of the corridor. He unlocked the door, and I waved him in. A man was lying on the bed, staring listlessly at the ceiling. He matched the description Joey Zale had given me, except his face was now pale and haggard, eyes rimmed with dark circles. A wide gauze bandage topped his skull. What's under the bandage? A small hole bored in his skull? 
Electrode implants for altering behavior? No, no, it's nothing like that. He, he put up a fight and, and banged his head falling. It was just a, a mild concussion at the worst. And he, he didn't respond to hypnosis at all. There, there are some like that, you know. Tough. So uh, why is he so listless? Narcotics. Uh, he, he's in a stupor. Now, it's going to wear off in a day or so. I, I, I assure you, he's going to be all right. Mr. Hunter? Mr. Hunter? Maybe you did better than you thought, Glendon. No, no, now, see? He, 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 he's coming around. Mm. Who are you? Friend of Willie's, Willie Rich. Willie Rich? Come on, Glendon. Help me get him dressed. No, not leaving, not without the kid. Pan Clayton's not here. Take my word for it. I'm Willie Rich's friend, Hunter. I wouldn't... Willie... Come on, Hunter. Up you go. Pam's probably home by now. You want to see Pam, don't you? Night shift will be coming on. we got to get out of here. Pam. See Pam. Okay, Glendon, you lead the way. It was a short walk down the hall to the side exit, but it seemed miles burdened by Hunter's confused condition. As we hit the cool night air, Hunter's legs buckled and he went limp. Glendon helped me shove him into my car. I could see he was looking around, nervously. Don't worry, Glendon. I'll explain it all to Charnock and Dorn when I catch up with them. You've got a bigger worry. Something you should really be nervous about. Who killed Bonnie Burns? What? No, you're joking. A knife in the back's a bad joke. I found her up at Lake Tahoe. They tell you that that was how she would spend her vacation? Dead? Well, I... I you're being I, played for a patsy, Glendon. You can get 10 to 20 as an accessory. Who told you to let Bonnie off? I heard a rustle behind us in the dark shrubbery separating the parking lots. Something whistled, glittered in the night. It thudded heavily close to me. Glenn's mouth opened in a surprised scream that aborted suddenly as he coughed and fell against me. He sagged, pulling my arms down with him, and I couldn't find my gun. I judged the knife in his back to have at least a six-inch blade. Glendon was coughing frothy red bubbles. His dead eyes stared at me accusingly, as if I'd asked him one question too many. You will? Why, Jerry, I'd love to. Uh, great. I'll, I'll see you at 7. Bye-bye. I don't believe it! When you finally get a date with Cleopatra, you better have a special chariot, like the new Ford Grand Torino Brome for 74. The place you've got a solid car. The Ford Torino is a solid car. Restyled for 74 with a bold new front end. Opera windows, luxurious interiors with optional split bench seats, deep cut pile carpeting. This Torino's got spirit, looks, and it's built solid. What more could you want? Hi, Jerry. I'm glad you called. Yeah, yeah, me too. Riding down the road in style, smooth and quiet, by the mile. The bus, you've got a solid car. The solid mid-size Ford Torino. At your Ford dealers, the closer you look, the better we look. The Zero Hour continues after this. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash, and I've been around this great country of ours enough to know how important it is to get as much education as you can while you're young. If you want to start college or vocational school, this may be your chance. The government wants to give you some money if you have financial need. Can you believe that? Well, it's true. Look into a new program called Basic Grants to see if you qualify. Hurry on over to the county agent, post office, or nearest school for more information and an application form. 
A basic grant won't give you all the money you need to make it through college or vocational training, but it'll help you get on the roads. It could be the most important road you'll ever walk in your entire life. And if you don't feel like walking, just write your name and address on the back of a postcard and mail it to Basic Grants, Post Office Box 84, Washington, D.C., 20044. That's Basic Grants, Post Office Box 84, Washington, D.C., 20044. Allie Regal opened his door, then followed me down his driveway and helped me carry Tom Hunter into his house. We bedded him down on the living room couch. Turning to leave, I knocked a magazine of local coming events off the coffee table. A lucky accident. It told me Charnock was in San Diego, a ten-minute ride away. I had questions for Charnock about Hunter. It took me longer than I'd expected to get to the theater. The lobby lights were out, cars were driving away. I stopped my car abruptly. Louis Charnock was getting into his long black car. Dorn wasn't with him. The car took off down the Embarcadero north along the riverfront. There were plenty of hotels in San Diego, but Charnock was heading out of the city. I tailed him up Highway 101. The limo swung off the causeway where a curving ramp led to a sumptuous bayside motor hotel, the Bahia Bay. He pulled into a parking stall at the far end, fronting a dark bungalow. I stopped, doused my lights, watched Charnock get out, say goodnight to his chauffeur, and go inside. The chauffeur lit a toque, leaned back against his seat, and enjoyed the quiet night. His hand, holding the butt, dangled outside the open car window when I came up. I slammed his wrist to the side of the car, leaned in with a solid left, smashing his nose, aborting his outcry. I slugged him again, yanked the door open, and he was out cold. One thing about the bloodletting business, it never hurts to catch a sucker off guard. I removed his belt, lashed his hands together with it, dumped him over into the back seat. Charnock opened his bungalow door to my knock. When he saw my gun, he backed up fast, and I shut the door behind me, locking it. I had a lot of questions to ask you the last time we met. We never got to them. Now I have several more. Uh, let's start with George Glendon. What's your connection with him? George who? Glendon. Glendon. Try harder. He runs the spa at Poway, the Gilded Cuckoo. He seems to be running errands for you, too. I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Roper, isn't it? I don't know, Glendon, or what you're talking about. How about Pam Clayton? Does that ring a bell? I know Monica Clayton, but then we've known each other for years. This gun can go off, you know. I was given a pretty good going over at the Gilded Cuckoo by the same Mr. Glendon I mentioned, so don't tell me you don't know what I'm talking about because I've heard differently. Also, while I was getting that going over, I happened to see your friend Dorn. Well, that's quite possible. Mr. Dorn might have some interest there. He has many outside interests. None of them concern me. Let's try some other names. Bonnie Burns, Tom Hunter. I'm sorry, I don't know them. Does Dorn? I suggest you ask him. I will when I get to him. But Dorn works for you and you're the boss as far as I'm concerned. Pam Clayton was abducted, so was Hunter. Bonnie Burns was killed, and now Glendon's got a knife in his hand. I find all that very distressing, but I don't know any of these people. I'm a private investigator, Charnock. On Labor Day, a friend of mine, Willie Rich, was drowned in his swimming pool. I don't think it was his idea. Somehow, I think you're involved. Tyler Clayton's daughter disappeared the same day. Monica Clayton asked me to find her. She had an appointment at the beauty spa. Glendon told me she never got there, but admitted later to keeping her a prisoner. Said that he was acting on orders of higher-ups and implicated you and Dorn. I personally saw Monica Clayton at the theater with you the following day. She didn't come to see me. She came to see Dawn. Why? I imagined to bring him some money. Blackmail? It's been going on for a long time. It's not quite like you think. Mr. Dawn uses me for a front. I happen to be the convenience. 
perhaps I can explain our relationship. As he explained it, I had the feeling that Charnock felt relieved to finally be able to tell someone. It seemed that 25 years ago, he had committed an indiscretion with a minor, male, good for a morals rap. Wesley Dorn, a sharp and conniving lawyer, got the evidence and found himself in a position to put an end to young Charnock's platform career. But he was shrewd enough to sense a better arrangement, a partnership, with him calling the shots for Charnock. I was a success from the start. Women gave me money, large amounts, remembered me in their wills, gave me real estate, businesses, insurance policies. It was incredible, really. And you never got a dime out of it? You might say just living expenses. Dawn has power of attorney over me. Yeah, you could have got out. Dawn didn't make you write books about what you do. You could have come up with a sore throat or something at your lectures. You don't sound like a president of me. Oh, don't misunderstand, please. I believe in my messages, my books, my lectures. Like it or not, Dawn has made it possible for me to continue my work. Despite his hold on me, I sincerely believe I've helped many people. Mm. You told me Monica Clayton's paying off Dawn, too. What's he got on her? Some porno films from a long time ago. She bought them back and found out Dawn reproduced the negatives. Mm. You sat her on the hook all these years? Yes. Monica has been rather careless at different stages of her life. She's picked up some bad habits. I have nothing to fear from you, Mr. Roper. Apparently, Wesley Dawn has... Where is Dorn now? He has a houseboat in the cove, a short distance off the pier. It's called the Sea Serpent. You can't miss it even at night. It's positively unique. After leaving Charnock, I looked into the back of his car to see how his chauffeur was doing. He was gone. When I got to the pier, I expected J.J. to be waiting for me. He wasn't. I found a small boat with oars. I made like Captain Bly and headed for a large gray shape with bright lights a hundred yards out of the bay. The sea servant was campy and attractive. The deck was an extended front porch. There were shutters on the windows and potted plants. A front door and living room covered with brilliant red carpeting. Dorn was lying on it. Face up, a lot of it missing above the eyes. I was a little disappointed, but not too surprised. Two bullets had pinpointed in his forehead, putting an end to this stage of the investigation, not to mention Dorn. Well, one less suspect, one more corpse. Now is the time for another one of my failings. <laughs> no such luck. I was right back where I started. Nowhere. You are listening to Mutual's presentation of The Zero Hour. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful forest where everything was all lovely and green and peaceful. Sunlight fell in ribbons of daylight through its trees. Birds flew in the quiet air above it. Deer and rabbits found secret hiding places to play. For it was truly a beautiful place. And then one day, into this beautiful emerald forest, a new creature came. A creature called man. And man brought with him fire to warm him against the night. Only with his fire, man did not bring caution and the fire got away from him suddenly. And the beautiful forest was no more. And yet there might easily be a different ending. For if man is careful with his fire, he need never say, once upon a time, there was a beautiful forest. Heroin hotline. I've had it. I've really had it. Tonight, three of them jumped us. Got my purse. Tore the wedding band off my finger. My husband, he'd hand over his money. Why'd they have to beat him up? 
Little lady next door. Just last week, Junkies broke in, took everything she had. Go ahead, I'm listening. Heroin. When they need that stuff, they do anything. It is the pusher you've got to get. Put it around the block like he owns it. Got little kids, no more 10, 11 years old, hooked on heroin. It's sick. Can you describe him? Oh, I know who he is, all right. Only I don't want more trouble. We don't need to know anything about you. Just Six, the pusher. Call the National Heroin Hotline, 800-368-5363. It's a free call from anywhere in the country. It's run by the federal government. Call Heroin Hotline in Washington, D.C., 800-368-5363. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, The Princess Stakes Murder. I'm Ron Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. been listening to The Zero Hour, a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System in association with Hollywood Radio Theater, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again, rest your eyes. And listen here to the Zero Hour. This is Mutual, your news and sports radio network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.